Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of Ship Talking. I'm Brandon, one of your hosts, and as always, I'm joined by Robbie. Robbie, how are you? Hey, Brandon, I'm doing good. How are you doing? I am doing great. Any news this week? Did you get up to anything? I was so excited with the new episode of Discovery and with, dare I say, The Mandalorian. <laughs> I kind of feel like we're in a golden age of geekdom. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like the early 90s all over again, but the actors are much better looking. <laughs> I 100% agree. Loved this week's Discovery and also did catch the first episode of The Mandalorian. Looking forward to that. Are we allowed to say that we are happy that we got our baby Yoda fix? Absolutely. All right. <laughs> well, really excited to have everyone here for this week's episode. Over the last couple weeks, now that we have a few of our episodes out, we've been getting some really great feedback about the show, but a couple questions about why our show is not as long as other podcasts. One of the things when we were developing Ship Talking that we thought about is how do we bring a brand new show to listeners and allow them to be able to finish it each week? We know there's a lot of podcasts out there, let alone Star Trek podcasts, so we wanted to make something that's more digestible and very niche, specifically talking about ships. One of the things that we decided to do, though, is since we are meeting with our guests for 45 to 60 minutes each week, is put out the expanded episodes, and we're doing that via Patreon. Patreon is a platform that artists use to connect with their fans and allow fans to become patrons of the artists and receive benefits. And some of those benefits for us include expanded episodes, access to a special VIP chat channel that we're inviting all of our guests to, opportunities to join us for live recordings, and also opportunities to join us as a guest host. You can read all about it by going to patreon.com slash shiptalkingpod or go to shiptalkingpod.com and click the link to the Patreon at the top and it'll give you all of the details. What I really like about our expanded content that we're providing is the fact that you can listen to the more in-depth knowledge that our guests provide. I think it's very enjoyable for all of you who want to get into some more of the detailed specs that these industry leaders have and that's what we want to do is every week bring to you high quality great information about star trek yep and one other thing to let you all know i'm doing all the editing on my own and i really enjoy it that said for every five minutes of recorded audio it takes about an hour to edit and that's because we're taking out silence or ums or uhs because we know in a 20 minute show every second counts and you can probably see that from the episodes that we put out but we know you want more so we have decided to give you more definitely check it out and let us know if you have any feedback So this week, we are joined by two awesome guests that flew in from opposite sides of the galaxy. Our first guest is none other than Emmy and Academy Award winning Star Trek visual effects and ship designer Doug Drexler. You'll know his work from The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine. He was a special contributing consultant to Voyager. And on Enterprise, he was the lead architect and ship designer for the NX-01. Along with Doug, we have special guest host, Nick Dugid, who is the senior environment artist and ship designer on Star Trek Align. We're also going to be going over last week's community question and announce our new one. After the chat with Doug and Nick, we'll report back on the training plans you've all been sending us in for this week's All Hands on Deck drill. We'll also announce our special guest for next week's episode. I have been really looking forward to chatting with Doug and Nick. They've both done amazing work on the Star Trek franchise, so it should be a really interesting chat. We're going to get to that chat in just a moment, but first, let's move into this week's Community Q segment and see what came in over the hailing frequencies from the community. Community Q. 
So I'm really excited for this week's Community Q because as a lifelong Star Trek fan, what I always loved about watching Star Trek was how it made you think about what was possible with future technology. And I always loved the fact that you would see all these cool gadgets and gizmos on Star Trek. And so we reached out to you and said, of everything you've ever seen, what is one thing that you would love to see exist today? And thank you for all of your wonderful submissions that you sent us. We got so many, but by far the vast majority of responses all said they wish the replicator existed today. You know, I'm actually really not surprised. I I think that for myself, one of the most amazing things about watching Star Trek was the replicator. And it wasn't just about the food and beverage component of it, but it was the idea that you could completely manufacture an item that would conceivably reduce cost, labor, and could make instantly, which is game-changing on so many levels, on a scientific and medical, and even just a normal day-to-day living. I would argue that the replicator also is probably the reason why in Star Trek there is no financial system specifically with currency. Okay, Ferengi aside, talking about in the Federation, you know, there's no exchange of money, and that's because the replicator exists. There could be so many things solved with the addition of replicators. And I think that one thing that we learned from last week when we talked to Dr. McDonald, especially with ship design, is that even in the future, even with replicators and even with the ability to turn some form of matter into something that is now necessary matter, you know, there's still going to be this element of resources still being limited. Agree. Yeah, it wouldn't solve everything, but definitely would help. As honorable mentions for this week, the other most requested amenities were the holodeck and the transporter, and also the warp drive. I have to say that as somebody who loves to travel, definitely the transporter would be something I would love to have. It'd be so cool to see family and friends and go to places and then just be able to zip on back. Exactly. I kind of picked replicator because it's like, well, if I could replicate something, I'll just replicate a transporter, right? Oh, good point. (laughs) Except, you know, you don't want to have like a a little transporter accident if you don't, if it doesn't get done right. We definitely need to have a chief, you know, working on that. Yes, no Tuvix situations. Mm -hmm. Also, just a shout out to the best unique submission. It was the deuterium fusion reactor and the thought behind that was for better power supply. One thing that has always been really exciting for me is how Star Trek has always been able to almost eerily foretell the future about items and technology that are not yet mainstream or only in the conceptual stage and then at some point become mass produced and actually become real. I can't wait to see what comes down the pipeline that generated in Star Trek first. Okay, so for this week's Community Q, we want to get a little feisty and kind of start a little dogfight and we want to hear from you. What is your favorite ship battle or battle scene of all time and why as always you can let us know your thoughts via email website form submission or even via twitter well uh brandon i think it's time for us to blow this jumjistic stand and let's go take a little stroll down the promenade head over to quarks to meet up with doug and nick for some ship talking we better hurry though because i see that morn is already talking their ear off and you know how he can just never stop talking let's go let's go The NX is a good example that, you know, Mike Okuda and I wanted it to be a Daedalus-class ship. Oh, wow. You know, and we thought the fans would love that. Yeah. Uh, And then they wouldn't have anything to do with it. And then we had even put a cargo ship. Hmm. We put the, uh, you know, DY-100 out there. Oh, okay. And, like, post-production supervisors, that looks like a pencil. (laughs) You know? But you guys are missing the point. You know, if we were doing a historical drama... Like if we were doing, you know, the attack on Pearl Harbor, 
you can't say that the zeros are ugly and you don't want to use them. Right. You know, they so are what they are. Of, yeah. I, I always thought Star Trek should be treated as a period piece. Right. You know, I understand adjusting things and massaging them to bring them up to date. But as far as changing it entirely, I think is a mistake because you've got a fan base that thrives on the continuity. I mean, look at the success of books like the Star Trek Encyclopedia and the tech yep. manuals. And people love reading that, memorizing it, knowing the facts. Then it's me. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, you know that when you get together with your friends, mm -hmm. you knock around and you'll debate certain things. Mm -hmm. Or if it's someone who's never seen Star Trek and you're giving them a guided tour, you know all the facts behind. So it's like you have a feeling of inclusion yeah. when you watch it. And if you start to break that, there are people who spend a lot of money on books and things like that who sure. feel like sure. it all got wasted. You know, uh, why did I bother even learning all of that if they're just going to change it? You know? mm -hmm. One thing that I really liked about Enterprise was it really went into the history and the background of the involvement of the Vulcans with Starfleet and with getting humans to the next level with spaceflight. It always felt to me, and I know to Mike and Denise, and also was that the Vulcans were, they were like the in-laws that wouldn't leave. You know? <laughs> <laughs> that you felt they were unwelcome, you know? Imposed upon, yeah. And it was their fault. Mm -hmm. They were bastards. <laughs> right. The Yannicks went out there without a tractor beam. Mm -hmm. The Vulcans have a tractor beam. What's the big deal? <laughs> Why don't you let us have one? But personally, I mean, my thoughts on the Vulcans, I thought it was a huge miscalculation. The way I would have done it, haha, if I was in charge of the zoo, would have been at the end of First Contact, when the Vulcans are about to leave, they say, you know, it was nice meeting you. And when you are ready, you'll find us. Mm -hmm. That gives us something to go after. Mm -hmm. uh, and we go out into space. We have no idea where the Vulcans are. And our ass is hanging out there. I wouldn't even see an alien for the first season. Mm -hmm. And when I, you know, Enterprise, we had Ferengi, like, within a couple of shows, you know. But Enterprise wasn't the first forays into space, though. Yeah, but I mean, I thought that where they ended up, that's the way it looks. Yeah. But if it had been up to me, there wouldn't have been regular cargo ships running back and mm -hmm. forth in, like, the busy space lanes. I think the first year should have been... You know, we've got a couple of colonies out there and then yeah. a colony slaughtered yeah. by a barbaric alien race. We don't even know who they are. Yeah. And with Enterprise, you had both ends of the spectrum, not only designing the pre-TOS Enterprise, but also the Enterprise J. You know, it was the kind of thing where Herman would stick his head in the office and go, oh, Dougie. <laughs> <laughs> and we used to call those, um, oh, by the ways. We, we call them drive-bys. He says there's an Enterprise. At first it was the K. Oh, okay. And he said, it's like hundreds and hundreds of years beyond. Yeah. Future guy comes from there. And um, it's Monday. I have to go see Mr. Berman Thursday morning. So now you've got whatever's left of today and tomorrow to come up with at least three or four designs. <laughs> wow. Oh, easy peasy. Well, I mean, it's like you just go at it, yep. you know. And I mean, I was lucky because I'm in a situation where no one's bugging me. Yeah. And everyone around me is my friend, you mm -hmm. know. And it was like a big family up there. So um, you just jump right in. And, you know, part of the skill is knowing, okay, enough. The next one. We'll go back to that one once we have four yeah. ready. You can't, right, right, right. you can't go nuts trying to get one perfect. It's crazy. Right. Besides, if you move on to the next one, 
you're going to get some insights that will go into the one before when you go back to it. So anyway, mm -hmm. I did like four designs for the J real fast. These are all pen and paper? No. Oh, did I do any pen? Yes, I, I, I did about a half a dozen real rough sketches mm -hmm. of what I was thinking of. And then you were modeling after that? Yeah, I mean, I, to tell you the truth, you know, a very rough sketch is a fine thing to do. And I'm a sketcher, but uh, I will get into CG real fast. Yeah. I mean, if I do sketches, I can't spin them around, you know, and look at them from right. different angles and things, and it makes yep. all the difference. So anyway, I did these things for the J. Herman went over, came back, and said, okay, this one. There was no revisions, no nothing at all. It was just like, okay, approved. Like in the show, we only saw it from one angle, and then we saw interiors. It was on a view screen. It was on a view screen, exactly. Yeah. So Nick... When you were working on bringing it into STO, that must have been, you know, interesting process. And you must have worked more from just what we saw on Enterprise. Anything that we build from the show, if it's something that they showed on screen a bunch, then it's easy to just get screenshots of it. Well, next time, if it's something I did, just ask me, because I probably have. Well, I did, actually, Doug. You sent me orthographics of the J oh, okay. when there All weren't right. any. At least this was something. back before we had done our version. I mean, we were doing our version, but nobody yeah. else had, had seen uh, anything of it and the only real reference of it was from Drex Files. You you had a couple <laughs> of shots of the J that you had posed flying through space and they were great right. but they're all angled and it's hard to get like well what does the underside mm. of it look like or whatever. If you googled the Enterprise J you found hundreds of people's interpretations of yeah. what the underside and other things looked like but they were all wrong and so at some point I got so frustrated. I was like, I'm just going to poke him on Facebook and ask if he's posted orthographics of it someplace. And you, you were kind enough to send them to me. And so, yeah, they were immensely helpful in finalizing it and making sure that it was accurate to what you had designed. That freaking Enterprise J is two miles long. Yep. <laughs> we made it two miles long. It's huge. You see, I have people say, that's stupid. I don't understand why would it be it's a floating they city build dyson spheres that are as big as solar yeah. systems i mean <laughs> you know that's not that big you guys don't read enough science fiction is what i always say <laughs> you know all they know is what they see on tv you know the thing could be moving sideways with warp theory and you right. know if you're creating a static warp bubble around you you can yeah. move wherever you want to it doesn't have to yeah. like turn it doesn't have we have to make it turn because it's a game and you have to be able to fly yeah. it around and things the main reason i made it that big was because i knew people would say that was stupid <laughs> yeah i'm like okay i'm gonna make it so much bigger than any starship they've ever seen and i'm gonna have the cell struts that you can't hardly even tell with <laughs> the struts attached i took the warp engines and i got rid of everything except what we see from a distance the boussard yeah. glow and the yep. blue spill that's about yep. all there is to the engine well there's one little kind of flap on yeah. the top but that's it yeah i love it i think it's great i think let's move something let's not go to controversy and something nobody ever got upset about like DS9. <laughs> um, one of the things that I always found great about DS9 that we got a chance to see was the insides of so many different species ships. We saw the Maquis ships, we saw the Ferengi, different types of Klingon ships, uh, the Dominion ships, which is wonderful. Well, I mean, we always knew that DS9, there was going to be a constant traffic, you know, yeah. on the station of people coming from everywhere all over the place. One of the things about doing those sets was that Star Trek had huge, huge warehouses of stuff that we could take and turn upside down and paint different, you know, combine in different ways. Uh, and that's how it was done. I mean, we were a pretty inexpensive show, especially compared to what they're spending now on these shows. Even when we did movies, they expected us to do it on like a, practically a TV budget. Yeah. 
holy crap, when I watch Picard, I see the money that goes into yeah. one episode. <laughs> probably as much as we had for a season. It's like yeah. unbelievable. And you did 26 episodes instead of 10. Yeah. Whatever. I mean, think about that. Mm-hmm. We were doing 26 yeah. episodes every year. It's harder for people to make a living now because when you get on a series, you're only going to do 10 shows and then maybe they're not yeah. going to come back for two years. Yeah. One of the things in DS9 is, you know, we only got to see certain parts of the promenade, but Nick, you did some amazing work in Star Trek Online actually expanding that out. And I think from a conversation we've had before, you spoke to Doug about some of those plans. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think we we probably talked at some point. I probably brought up questions. Yeah, well, I had done a whole layout of the entire promenade in, in the tech manual. Yeah, and the tech I manual think. was invaluable for sure. Um, we didn't quite follow the exact map of it because we had to throw in some of our own stuff. And um... Well, businesses go out of business, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. And we're 2410 instead of, uh, you know, 2370 something. But yeah, we did a whole layout and you guys did that whole change to the set too between season one and two or two and three, um, where the Klingon Deli came in instead of the Jumja stand and you had a couple other things that swapped out too. We kept the season one stuff and we just put it on the backside of the promenade. So now we have the whole ring. Did you have a Vince's gym? We we didn't put in Vince's gym. Yeah. I'll I'll make a sign for you. (laughs) Okay, good. I'll I'll put it in. You know, you had mentioned um, Cardassian ships. No, no, not Cardiff. Dominion. Right. There's a Jem'Hadar ship. It's crashed on a planet upside down. Right. A lot of it's buried, so you can't see it. Their brilliant idea is that it'll be upside down when we're in there. Mm -hmm. You know, everything's on the ceiling. Mm. They wouldn't let us put chairs on the ceiling. (laughs) No one knew it was upside down. Yeah. If we had had chairs on the ceiling, everyone at home would know. Right. What would you have against that? director didn't want it is that what came to be because we i know like especially in sto when you go around the dominion ships you're not seeing many chairs everyone's very they don't have chairs exactly right is that what propelled the dominion not having chairs because it didn't make this set or it was primarily i think a cultural thing right like the dominion the gem hadar just didn't even believe that well that's how it was played off but if what doug is saying is the impetus for them not having chairs in the first place (laughs) i mean it could be that their entire culture is based on this one episode where they don't have chairs because they didn't want to put them on the ceiling oh it's considered to be cowardly to sit or I think, Doug, what you're saying is that the Dominion just didn't believe in ergonomics, right? <laughs> well, you know, actually, it's even more than that. They don't have asses. <laughs> yeah. They can't sit down. It's true. No lower back pain. Well, Doug and Nick, you know, we've been enjoying our uh, Sluggo Cola and Trixie and Bubble Juice here. By the look at your winnings, both of you, uh, I don't think Quark's going to want you back anytime because you got a lot of latinum stacked up there. So before we let you guys go back and start spending that latinum at the Dabo wheels, we're going to ask you a series of questions, and we just want to know your first answer that comes to mind. All right, Doug, you're up first. What is your favorite ship? The original. Has to be. Everything comes from that. Uh, favorite series? Original. All right. Favorite captain? You know, it's Kirk and Picard. It's got to be a tie. They're two sides of the same coin. And if you were going into a career within Starfleet, would you be command, science, or engineering? I don't want to be in charge. Uh, Engineering. Okay. And the Federation banned genetic engineering. Do you agree or disagree with that? That's a question that, you know, they're going to be struggling with for a long time. I I don't have an easy answer for that. You know, I mean, look, you could cure diseases and, you know, but there's something about the way things ricochet around reality that I like. Once you start stacking the deck, it's, you know. Fair enough. All right, Nick, you are up next. So what is your favorite ship? 1701 because Doug told me to. (laughs) Favorite series? Lower decks. Favorite captain? Shran. So if you had to choose between command, science, and engineering, what would it be? Probably science. So as you know, the Federation has banned genetic engineering. Do you agree or disagree with that? I'd need more info. 
it's too hard to know what they're engineering, what they're doing with it. it I can't say yes or no on that. That is such a scientific answer, Nick. It goes right along with your career. <laughs> Doug and Nick, thank you again so much. Good luck on those Dabo bets. Lots of Latinum hopefully coming your way. While you play, Robbie and I are going to move into this week's All Hands on Deck segment. For this week's drill, we put everyone in a command position and asked, if you were the Borg queen or king for a day, what task would you first give the collective and which Borg ships would be involved? This was a fun one. We actually got a ton of different training plans, but surprisingly, we actually got many that all mentioned something along the same lines of that they would send the Borg fleet to assimilate changelings or the founders specifically, and also the entire Dominion. When I break that down and I think about it with the nanotechnology that within the Borg, how would that work with assimilating a non-solid form of life? Mm -hmm. And we've never seen that before. I mean, they weren't able to assimilate species 8472. However, I do think that when you think about grand scale and the geopolitical sense with the Borg, the Dominion definitely would be a type of threat that they would want to go after. Yeah, I would love to see some kind of comic or story that dives into that. I can already smell the shape-shifting Borg emerging from the founder soup. Mm. Oh my goodness, <laughs> that definitely has like a spooky connotation <laughs> to it. We also heard several submissions from community members about combining cubes into a giant fusion cube. You might have seen that if you played the game Star Trek Armada and they would have sent it to Earth or Kronos. I think my favorite submission though was sending tactical cubes out to assimilate the mycelial network. Could you imagine insta-jumping spore-enhanced Borg? You know, I really feel like just from a CGI perspective, that would be so amazing to have done. It would be pretty cool to see. Someone make it happen. Send it to us if you do. Oh my goodness, this would be wonderful. <laughs> well, I think that's it for this week's show. Make sure to tune in next week for our next guest chat. We are so proud and excited to announce that we'll be joined by the amazing Dr. Margaret Weidekamp. She is absolutely incredible. She curates the Smithsonian Social and Cultural History of Spaceflight Collection, and she actually oversaw the installation of the 11-foot studio model of the Enterprise from the original series. I wonder how they moved that around. Do you think they put that on top of the roof of somebody's car and <laughs> strapped it down? And I, But you know what's funny is in that scenario, it wouldn't be very aerodynamic. That is true. But you know what? We're going to chat with her and shoot the ship and find out. It's going to be another interesting chat that's for sure i'm really looking forward to it don't forget hailing frequencies are always open head to shiptalkingpod.com to transmit a message and while you're there you can check out our awesome merch if you do get something and wear our logo out and about make sure to send us a photo we'd love to share it out with the community and of course do check out the new link at the top of the site that goes directly to our patreon so you can learn about all these special rewards we're giving out to our patrons you can also send us an email to hello at shiptalkingpod.com we want all your feedback and comments. We love hearing from you. In addition, we want to hear your entries and suggestions for the community queue and all hands on deck drill. We're also on Twitter at Ship Talking Pod. I love getting your tweets, so do send them our way. And the best way to support us is to tell your Trekkie and Trekker friends about the show. They can find us on any and all the podcast platforms or just send them to our website and they can get the direct links from there. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week. And until then, have a great week and stay safe. Thanks, everyone. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.